0: Uh, Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to The Commentarians. I'm Joe, this month's host.
1: And I'm Mary McCampbell. I'm a humanities professor at Lee University. I am a writer, and I'm also a public speaker.
0: And we're here to talk over your movies. Uh, Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Commentarians.
1: Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. (laughs) I saw a squirrel.
0: I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. (laughs) Uh, We are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survive, and there's
1: a God who heals of these wounds.
0: Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, He's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins except when you had sex, and Jesus doesn't cover that. Uh, hey everyone, welcome to the show. Uh, as I mentioned, or as uh, you know, we mentioned, uh, we have here Mary McCampbell of Lee University. How you doing?
1: Hi, I'm pretty good. I'm much better because it's the end of the semester, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> how'd uh, How'd grading go?
1: Uh. It, it wasn't as difficult as usual. I, I assigned less at the end, which makes them happy and me happy. So <laughs> I'm all done. And yeah, glad to have had a good semester.
0: Great. And um, you like we mentioned, you're a humanities professor. Uh, and so this month we're going to be doing Crimes and Misdemeanors by Woody Allen. Uh, what is your history with this film?
1: Yeah, um, well... I I just remember my freshman year in college. I went to Covenant College, which was a uh, you know a Christian liberal arts college, and um, I was introduced to the concept of common grace insights that 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 aspect of Reformed theology, mm. just that that any human being because they're made in God's image can express truth and has important things to say. We should be discerning and listen. And um, my philosophy professor. Uh, you know, always had his intro students watch this. And we watched it at his house, had to write a paper about it. And I always loved movies, but I think this kind of opened up my interest in really seeing movies as serious art, really focusing, you know, focusing on the philosophical and theological aspects
2: yeah.
1: of movies. Um, and so since then, I mean, that was... Well, that was in the early 90s. That was in nineteen ninety, <laughs> so that I first saw this, um, and I've shown it to countless classes. Actually, I teach a class. I just had it this last semester called Film and Philosophy, and I always show this one, um, and we have you know really rich conversations. So yeah, it's I don't know how many times I've watched it, but um, it's a favorite.
0: Yeah. What's really great about this film is that it's not just a philosophical discussion, as most of us have, as theory. It's literally, the main character is having uh, a, uh, Jonah, he's having a philosophical discussion or argument, because it affects him personally. Yes. And I think that that's what makes this such an incredible film.
1: Absolutely. And I don't don't know if you've seen... um... Oh, now I'm for forgot Match Point. Have you seen
0: that? Yes, I have.
1: Yeah, because that's Woody Allen taking. He's he's clearly um, just kind of tortured by this struggle between an atheist existentialism and um, his, the Judaism of his youth and his community. And you know, the film is very much about questions that raises, but it feels like the same questions are addressed in Match Point. Yeah. With younger, better-looking people. And it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. set in London. I think it might have been his first movie that wasn't set in New York. I don't know. But it's one of those, you know, Yeah. A big tradition.
0: When he starts but, moving further east into uh, Europe.
1: In yeah, those films. Yeah, yeah. But, and, yeah, it's, it is great because it's almost like a, I don't know, like a parable or a, a morality play or something. Yeah that
0: yeah and it's interesting because in most in um, well in every movie once he stops being in his own films there's always a woody allen stand-in where there's another actor who's basically a woody allen type was there a woody allen type in that film because i don't remember there was
1: no that one was really serious yeah you know, whereas like Melinda, Melinda has Will Ferrell, right? And then another film. Now I can't remember which one has Jason Biggs. I mean, oh, and and Owen Wilson was in Midnight and Mid- Paris.
0: Yeah, that's another uh, favorite of mine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's true. You always have the neurotic, <laughs> the neurotic guy who anxious,
0: strange, yeah, person
1: attracted to mysteriously. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, but you're right. Match Point. It's almost like he made a more serious film because this one still had that. This one still has the Woody Allen neurotic guy storyline, whereas that one is completely maybe the most serious of his movies. One of the most serious. So that's an interesting. That's really
0: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's get into it. If you're going to be watching it with us, like we mentioned in the coming attractions, uh, we will uh, be watching it on HBO. I think both of us are, you via Amazon and me from uh, my HBO Now account. Hopefully it's still there when this comes up. So, But if not, then just uh, sit back and listen. But we're going to be doing a countdown right now. We're at all zeros. Uh, so, uh, as soon as I say, I'm going to do three, two, one, and play. And when I say play, we hit play. So, let's just get into it. And we can have continue having these discussions. Uh, so, here we go. Three, two, one, play. All right.
1: Oh, it's pausing. Hold, okay, here we go.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh-oh.
1: So, no, no, it's,
0: I think it's fine. I, I think okay. I... Also, it's on
1: it says HBO right now.
0: So. Oh, okay, all right. So, yeah, I think we're good.
1: Uh oh, mute.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we're good. Orion, are you there? Yes,
1: yes, mm-hmm. yes, beautiful. Great.
0: So, here's the thing about um, that uh, what we just mentioned about his most serious movie. He's always been headed in that direction in a way where yeah. he has films that are half serious, half comedy. This being one of them, uh, there's a Woody Allen section that is very funny and a little sad, but still uh, where the humor comes in. And then the uh, what's his name? Martin Landau uh, storyline yeah. that is very serious. Very
1: and serious. we also see fun. that.
0: W- uh, go ahead.
1: There's nothing funny in that storyline at all. Right. Yeah.
0: And then we have the same thing with like Hannah and her sisters and I think husbands and wives. And in fact, in the movie Melinda and Melinda, it's actually two separate storylines that are not connected at all. It's literally two people telling two separate stories starring the same actress as Melinda. And one is a very serious version of the story and the other one is a very comedic version of that story and i yeah. find that really fascinating right
1: yeah it's super well even in um oh i was just gonna say we went past the credit i always love his credits because he always does them the same way right yeah <laughs> With that jazz music um but anyway now we're at the uh Judas- we're receiving this award, but I think Melinda, Melinda, it has that framing conversation where those, those friends are sitting at a table and they're like, let's, ta- is this story a tragedy or a comedy? Right. Um, which I think is really interesting um, because even in Hannah and her sisters at the end, when the Woody Allen movie is considering suicide,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, um, he is also going over with this idea is life tragic or comic Um, and this, this film deals with it th- th- throughout as well. So, yeah, this is clearly something he's obsessed with. And and I think, to me, it's a more kind of almost ancient Greek, or not ancient Greek, but an, an older, a more traditional idea of tragedy and comedy, where with the comedy, things um, all work out in the end. Or with the tragedy, everything unravels, Yeah, you know? <laughs> um not so much haha although he does have a lot of laughs but it's also more of the structure you know um of you know is there going to be a resolution right. or just kind of despair and fragments um so yeah
0: right and so uh, if you're not watching we explained i i am going to try to explain the uh the plot in the coming attractions but it starts off showing that uh, Judah, the main character played by Martin Landau, is a humanitarian. He's a an, uh, what do we call those uh, uh, a person who does a lot of good in the world. What was that?
1: Philanthropist. Oh yeah,
0: exactly, a philanthropist. And he comes home and there, you know, from the party, and he find he looks through the mail and he finds that his mistress has written his wife a letter. And this kicks off the actual, you know, the issue, the problem that he's going to be dealing with uh, for the rest of the movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to mention, not directly, just tangentially related, that if anybody's interested in a novel that I think is also, it's a... Not a Christian writing this, but also dealing with these similar ideas. Some of these ideas is the novel How to Be Good by Nick Hornby. Have you read that? No,
0: I've uh, read uh, about a boy in High Fidelity yeah. because I love yeah. those movies. So
1: they're both great. But How to Be Good is basically there's a woman who's a doctor, just like Judah's an ophthalmologist, and she does all this good for people, but she's having an affair and she's asking how am I good or am I bad? Right. (laughs) You know, I do all these good things yet I'm committing adultery. And if I don't believe in God and there's no moral framework, what do I do with this. Right. So, um, so I just all, I never had thought about, but all of a sudden I thought, Hey, that would be an interesting companion to this movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think one of the biggest struggles that, uh, Judah, the main character has is what he mentions here is, The eyes of God are always on us. Yes. His guilt may, yeah. His guilt is intensified by the fact that he believes God is actually watching him, and that's the question, right? Uh, Is there a God? And if there is, you know, is there guilt and innocence? If if there isn't.
1: But he says, you know, I'm a skeptic. But it's kind of like, yeah, he seems to be perhaps more like the like Woody Allen himself, someone who thinks I was raised like that, but I don't really believe it. You right. know, and I mean, all the flashbacks in this film of his childhood are really interesting of, right. of his the Judaism he's raised in. Um, and yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And then we get an introduction to his mistress played by Angelica Houston. And, again, it's not just the, the philosophical debate because it's the relationship here. She says something really interesting. Uh, it's, she says that he promised her that they would be together, that he was going to yeah. leave his wife and go and run away with her. And he says, I never promised that. Hmm. and that's the debatable thing did he or didn't he and but we kind of see a moment where you absolutely see why she would think he did even though he never outright said he did
1: yeah 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 and I'm just thinking how many how many times throughout the history of the world has it been this like you know an affair oh are you aren't you promised you'd leave your wife
2: right you know yeah.
1: and so i have a tendency to believe that he did say it right because he said it to get what he wanted but hey you know well this um, character
0: yeah no well on a personal level when i was young i was listening to a shock jock that was uh you know Leading me astray that was telling me how to get women and how to, you know, it was awful. I was an awful person back then. But I remember I said, I don't believe in a committed relationship because we're young. So let's just keep it casual. And what I did was actually when I was with my partner, I would treat her like my girlfriend. I would say things like, I don't remember the last time I was this happy. I would to yeah. have these romantic gestures, I would obviously treat her like I cared about her very much. And then they would be heartbroken because they'd say, this isn't just a casual relationship. This yeah. is more than that. And I'd say, yeah. but you knew what you were getting into. Well, actually, she did. I couldn't make that argument. But I was literally leading her into a committed, you know, emotionally attached relationship. And I don't think a lot of people know they're doing that in these situations.
1: Yeah, especially if they have someone like the Shock Shock telling them this is right. the way. Well, I'm just, it's, I think it's funny because we've just transitioned to the scene with Woody Allen's character, Cliff, mm-hmm. and his niece. And they're in a movie theater. And in the movie, the same sort of lines are being said I've given you the best years of my life. Right. Why are you treating me this way? And it's showing, you know, the, the, I mean, it's almost like a meta thing, yeah. you know, because within a movie. Here's a movie. Um, but, and I just want to mention the bizarre nature of this relationship between Cliff and his niece.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> because how she talks, how he talks to her yeah. as an adult Telling him, well, it, we'll see more as it goes on, but it's it's a strange relationship.
0: Yeah. Uh, he actually, um, his uh, who is it? His sister's husband passed away. Mm-hmm. And so he's taking out his niece to the movies, uh, taking her to museums. And he's like, you know, he loves his niece a lot. Like he loves, you know, this person that he could take out and uh, show, you know, kind of teach and uh, spend time with and i think that that's a really sweet kind of you know kind of things that he does and of course he comes home to his wife and it doesn't seem to be a very happy marriage
1: yes not not at all but it is a sweet thing i'm pro i'm getting ahead of the movie i guess i'm just thinking it is a sweet thing but there's a point when you you talk to children about things that you should only speak to with about with adults right <laughs> He he he's kind of letting her into his adult world <laughs> in ways that are unhealthy, which is creepy when you know more about you know Woody Allen's own life.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, kind of a, th- a, a, a maybe a discussion we should be having. Uh, a lot of people find it, um, you know, they they don't like, they kind of boycott his movies now. They don't want to watch his movies because of his uh things he's been accused of, things that he has done in the past. Uh how can and I guess the question is, can we separate the art from the artist? Yeah. You working in the arts. Uh and again, and this is something I brought up before. We when we find out something about an artist that's alive, we kind of tend to boycott their their you know, their art. But there have been so many artists from the past. Pablo Picasso, for example, Oh yeah, is an awful, awful human being. But I guess because it's been long enough, we kind of forget about that, or we ignore it.
1: We ignore it, and I'm just thinking of someone like uh, some artists are like Gustav Klimt and Egon Schiele, and some of the painters. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I've studied
1: and about like their. I mean, they would make Woody Allen look a bit tame, to be honest. Um, and so it's like why are we again yeah because it's the past I also think that especially in academia there's sometimes even a sense that if something's you know old enough I don't know it's I don't know well I'm thinking of Christian academia sometimes Mm. I feel like it bothers me like contemporary literature and contemporary films um, there's a sense to focus on you know the these kinds of questions about the artist, but then if it's 300 years old, well, you know that's just the way it was. Yeah. And like, yeah, I don't, I don't agree, but, but, um, but Woody Allen, I, it's kind of like I, the R. Kelly thing, but right. I, I, I could never justify listening, but I feel like with R. Kelly, his whole persona and all of his art seems to be steeped in like the the way he treats young women, the way he treats girls. That's disgusting. So for Woody Allen, I I really can't watch Manhattan, which is the film about that he, where he has an affair with like a high school girl.
0: And yeah. And it's not shown as a problem. It's literally, it's just a girl he's dating. And the fact that she's in high school, isn't even really discussed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I've seen it once and I I don't ever want to see it again. So with Woody Allen, I feel like, you know, he is a great filmmaker. He's asking really significant questions, you know, but it's, it's a hard one though. It's a, it's a, it's a really hard question. But like I said, when the art is overtly, but then again, looking at some of Gustav Klimt's art, he, he's also kind of advertising the way he treated young girls. Mm-hmm. But we still think, oh well, isn't this pretty?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so I don't know, it's a it's a really tricky one. I will say in this film and philosophy class, I struggle because I teach them in a row. I teach Frederico Fellini, um, eight and a half, Bergman's you know, two great existentialist films are Crimes and Misdemeanors and Bergman's The Seven Seal. Oh yeah. of those filmmakers. Bergman, Fellini, and Woody Allen were horrible to women. Mm-hmm. Were you know, And I would say Bergman and especially Fellini were misogynists and they all had relationships and affairs with these, you know, the, the women that were in their films. And yeah, and so, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, we don't talk about it that much because they're older films, but how is it different and do we... Right. You know, do we lock that? Do we lock that away? I mean, we've all heard about Hitchcock, although some of the actresses in his films have said, "Oh no, he didn't treat us that way." So I don't know.
0: Yeah. But <laughs> and, Again, and in the Christian world, we look to philosophers and writers who have made influenced Christian thought in incredible ways, but yeah. then were very anti-Semitic or incredibly sexist towards women
1: our
0: own slaves yeah exactly and we we have to kind of do we compartmentalize that stuff or i mean how can they have these ideas that are influenced by also this other part of their thought uh you know augustine who believed that women weren't fully made in god's image those are the same that's the same brain that came up with these other incredible beautiful ideas about the love of god it's
1: yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I mean, yeah, but I don't know. It seems to ring true to human nature Yeah, and we're yeah. more high, we're more evolved. We're more morally better. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to switch for a minute cause this scene is one of the most important ones yeah, I yeah. think <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to this cause we can come back cause I want to talk more about that question, but sure. I love this scene where he's, he's talking to, um, now I've forgotten the guy's... Who's the... the? Uh, he's a
0: he's rabbi.
1: A rabbi. Ben. Mm-hmm. Ben. The rabbi Ben. But he's... They talk about their... It's like it's like a really nicely laid out description of the different worldviews mm-hmm. that are being wrestled with in the film. Right. So the, the Judeo-Christian moral structure of the universe are the empty meaningless universe of the existentialist um, idea is. So that's really interesting the way he does this. Uh Like,
0: um, yeah, because you know, uh, Judah, he's an ophthalmologist and he's seeing one of his patients is a rabbi and he's kind of his moral guide in a way. And he's asking him, I've done something terrible. What do I do? And he's saying, well, I mean, you do what what's right, you confess your sins and you face the consequences, and you hope that your wife understands and I, I, yeah i I don't think he ever completely admits to what he's done to the rabbi. He just brings up that it's he's dealing with a problem, yeah, so yeah, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of the struggle that we as humans have, right. Is we've done something wrong and we have to face the consequences, and we don't don't always think we should, or we try to avoid it as much as possible.
1: Yeah, this is um. Has he said it yet? And I'm lost because I'm reading the sub- subtitles right. there. Where they both, um, where Ben lays out, this is the difference in you and me. You know, like I've always believed that there has to be some meaning or moral structure in the universe and you believe it's empty and meaningless. And the point is, you know, if there is no moral structure in the universe, then why does this even matter? Yeah. yeah it's mental. The difference we see, you see it as harsh and empty of values and pitiless. And I couldn't go on living if I didn't feel with all my heart, a moral structure with real meaning and forgiveness.
0: Right. And and I think that that's the important thing, right? It, there is, consequences for your actions Yeah, there is a right and a wrong but there's also forgiveness
1: yes yes and he said uh, in a higher power but but if there is no higher power then there is no record in right right or wrong and there is no there is you know there's no line being violated there's no standard being violated this right. is where this is the kind of illogical side of a, a moral atheism, I would say. I mean, even Nietzsche or Jean-Paul Sartre, they both say, you know, they both point out, how can you be a, a true atheist and really believe that it's wrong to commit adultery yeah. or that it's wrong to kill someone? I mean, Sartre says this, mm-hmm. you know? He says there's, it doesn't make sense. You cannot have a moral code if there's no God. And I I, I like reading I like the way they lay it on the line like that. Yeah. And I think what I don't think Woody Allen is ready to completely embrace Sartre or Nietzsche. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, he struggles with believing in God.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because that's and that's what's really fascinating about this movie. It, well, it's the, the argument is if there is no God, can there be a right and a wrong? Because a lot of the arguments that are made by those who don't believe or those who are critical of Christianity is I know atheists who are incredibly good people and moral people. And Christians, especially at a time like now that's very difficult for us to uh, defend many of the actions of our Christian brothers and sisters, we argue that many Christians are incredibly immoral and hypocritical. Yes. And so how can we say that there's a right and a wrong? or how can how can we say that that the existence of god or that christianity or any religion determines what is right and wrong or determines a moral structure and i would argue maybe that that's not you're you're, you're asking the wrong question because no it's not it's not whether religion makes a right and a wrong it, because we're all human and we all are terrible people or very good people it's not the person it's whether there is or not a moral structure in the universe or not
1: well even the idea of saying that someone's behavior is good or bad you know um is you have to have that structure and i'm just thinking i mean i feel like with christianity it's so much more complex like i feel like atheism are even some other philosophies like rationalism or romanticism, they're overly simplistic. You know, the belief that human beings are basically good yeah. or the belief that, that human beings are basically bad, whereas uh, the Christian view is that, well, as Francis Schaefer says, we're glorious ruins. You know, we yes. have the image of God, but we're fallen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the I'm thinking of the tree of life, When you that movie where you have um, the two the two sides of the self struggling with one another, Mm -hmm. you know the way scripture, you know that that's why to me that's why someone like Woody Allen is like wrestling with this question. He's not ready to just completely. Although lately, when I've seen interviews with him, he just looks so uh, forlorn and beaten and so like in despair, but. I feel like just this very wrestling is, well, if I'm going to believe in such a thing as goodness and badness, where does that come from? And I don't know, but that, that inner struggle that, that, um, what is like a Christian anthropology, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. like very different than I would. Yeah. I mean, atheism to me just almost seems too simplistic.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, Cause again, you, I, Without a religion, without a God, we would think, well, I know what's right and wrong simply Mm -hmm. because of life experience, right? I know that punching somebody in the face who doesn't deserve it or who has done nothing wrong is absolutely wrong. Just simply from experience, you know what's right and wrong, except for the fact that there are things like punching Nazis, have been brought up, where we almost justify, well, no, it's okay in this case, and it's okay depending on what benefits me or what I believe. It's almost like an individualistic standard of morality. Yeah. And if that's that's the case, then anyone, every single person has their own standard of what's right and wrong. And how is that any better...
1: It leads to chaos and anarchy. That's right. why my right. students get really, com- really shocked when they read Nietzsche. I love Nietzsche, but Nietzsche is basically taking like a, a Darwinian ideal, but he's making it, you know, completely atheistic. And saying, you know, this is just survival of the fittest. And he says to show compassion to another human being is going against the law of evolution. It's making you weak. So to be good, according to Nietzsche, is to follow your will to power. He redefines good and evil, you know? So in his idea, someone who's going to be caring is evil.
0: Yeah. but Because
1: but- you're not looking out for your own self-preservation. And so that... He, he's defining good and evil on purely practical uh terms like so back to your punching so it's okay <laughs> to punch someone if it's causing you to survive and to gain power
0: right but
1: what he would say
0: but at least that makes sense you know it
1: does make sense yeah I mean I don't agree with yeah because, yeah I don't well, makes,
0: I don't agree it, with it but if you're taking that road that makes sense
1: it, it makes sense in a universe completely. That it, it makes sense if you're like a philosophical materialist, if yes. there's nothing beyond, but isn't it sad? You Absolutely. know, like, how can you actually love another human being? You know, how can you care about another person? Um, so
0: and yeah, and that's why I kind of love the way Woody Allen thinks about this. He's not the atheist yes. that says there is no God and religion has caused evil in the world. What his argument is is i he it's almost like he wants to believe in god. He would love to yeah. believe in a god, but he yeah. doesn't. And if there is no god, then what does anything matter? And that's exactly. the debate he's having here.
1: Exactly. You know, uh, Oh, we're getting into the uh Right. I'm just I love Mia Farrow has this huge phone.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> period. <laughs> so, we haven't we haven't mentioned um Lester Mhm. This is certainly a comic, you know. As you mentioned before, the comic part of the film. But Lester, who is—is is that Ben's brother? I'm trying to remember. They're yeah. related. The yeah, rabbi's because... brother. because
0: no, no, yeah. I think this is Woody Allen's wife's uh, brother oh, that's or
1: like brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Ben is somehow related to the rabbi is related to them, but I don't remember how. But yeah, this is the brother, and he's this sleazy. Producer, Yeah. <laughs> um, who's, you know, whereas Cliff makes these like meaningful, deeply moral documentaries. Yeah. That are not popular. <laughs> but I think we've, just, we already saw the scene where Cliff, cause you were talking about comedy and tragedy where, where Cliff, not Cliff, sorry, Lester, the Alan Alda's character, the, the, the brother, uh, producer, whatever guy mm-hmm. says, um, Tragedy plus time equals comedy.
0: Right, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that. It's like if it bends, it's funny. If, if it, it breaks, breaks it's, it's not, not funny. Like, <laughs>
0: oh, what a terrible line!
1: <laughs> I know, but this classic line: tragedy plus time. You know, when 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 Lincoln was shot, that wasn't funny. But now
0: <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so he's already even within the humor is dealing with that what is tragic, what is comic. Mm-hmm. Question. Oh, and here's the uh now this this is this kind of existentialist philosopher. Right. Jewish existentialist. Yeah. La-
0: because what we have is uh, Woody Allen, who's a documentary filmmaker, who's very poor. He doesn't make a lot of money because his documentaries aren't the kind that a lot of people like. So his sister talked to her brother, the Allen Alda character, who's a, produ- a comedic producer, who's, you know, he's more for the masses. He's the Jay Leno, if you will,
2: <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of person.
0: And so we have this debate. He's hired to make a documentary f- about him. Because he needs the money and he's kind of get, throwing him a bone, doing him a favor by letting him produce this, uh, this feature on him, this yes. kind of an, a, an interview about him. And so he has to kind of, you know, swallow his pride and do it. And so he's, you know, Mia Farrow here, he's kind of showing her, hey, I want to do a documentary on this professor. And she loves it.
1: Yeah, it's like his passion project. Like mm-hmm. his, this is what I really care about. This really fascinating. And some of his his philosophy is truly troubling. Yeah. Uh, like, because it's bringing up these hard questions. You know, it, it has the depth. It's it's, it it. He's bringing up in a more raw form the very kind of questions that Alan asks in his films. Um, and the one that we just saw was about, you know one of the most disturbing, scary stories in the Bible, Isaac and Abraham,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the yeah. sacrifice of Isaac. And yeah, that idea of, of of love in the Old Testament and faithfulness to God and how, I don't know, if that even that mention just kind of freaks me out because I start thinking about Fear and Trembling by Kierkegaard and mm-hmm. <laughs> all the difficult, scary things he says about how hard of a story that is to process. Yeah, uh, the paradoxical nature of it. Cause, yeah,
0: yeah, because what he says is that the Israelites create a God who loves them and who cares for them, but the first thing he asks is for Abraham to sacrifice his son. Yeah, and even and I wrote down here uh, some notes. He says that even when people create a God of love, they cre- they can't create a loving image of God. Like, even, even when we try to create a God of love, we can't make one that is truly good. And I would argue, and I think this is what Christians would argue, is that the the story of Isaac and Jacob isn't about God demanding Jacob to, or or testing Abraham's faith, which is what a lot of people believe. It's telling the Israelites that this God would never ask you to sacrifice a human being
1: it Mm. starts
0: Mm. off a story Mm. about about a god like all the other gods every other god asks you to sacrifice Mm. you know a son but then there's a twist at the very end this god stops and says no this isn't what i want i will provide a sacrifice
1: yes So oh, it's not a non-loving picture of God. It's always right. showing, just like even with the beginning, with the, with the, uh, you know, Adam and Eve being um, sent out of the garden, there's always uh, mercy, yeah. you know, involved. And so, yeah, I think that's uh, really interesting. And, but yeah, this notion that this is a God created in man's image, um, which of course, Many uh, atheists would b- would believe that, of course, mm-hmm. or all atheists, I guess, would believe that. Um, but sorry, I'm now I'm distracted because we've gotten into. You're very good at like summarizing what's on screen. I keep. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing it because I. But he's. This is Woody Allen Cliff talking to his sister.
0: Right, and so <laughs> we, and so now we have Woody Allen's. <laughs> I love this reaction. He. he <laughs> He goes to his sister's house because she's in distress. She tells a story about how she went on a date with this really handsome, really passionate guy. And he takes her home and he, you know, I don't know how much detail we want to give, but it's just she, you know, she she puts herself in a very vulnerable position and he does something awful that is very gross And Woody Allen now is like, again, this is another kind of weird discussion about how human beings are so bizarre and weird and how even the search for love can cause this. Like you have to deal with these horrible things just in the search for love.
1: Yeah. But she's because she's saying I'm so desperately lonely. Yeah. You know, do I subject myself to this? But he does have a great line though when he's going to tell his wife, and mm-hmm. he says, "A strange man defecated on my sister." <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, but just the way he says it. Yeah,
0: like he just terrible. says, like he just sits there with like in shock. And like
1: it's, it's, his wife's wife is like,
0: "Yeah, oh, really?" <laughs> like she's not even listening to him. He's just, "Huh, that's weird." And <laughs> yeah
1: saying things before they happen yeah
0: and she works. says huh, why <laughs> like
1: uh, what? as if that's normal right i don't know is there any is there any reason i could give you that <laughs> that would answer that satisfactorily but yeah
0: but i mean i i guess that's that's another that's the crazy thing we're such complex and weird and bizarre creatures yeah that we have all these weird, uh, you know, ticks and eccentricities and that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, just again, a perversion of a good thing, you know, like things that are good desires or natural desires then being perverted, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and Alan, you know, the cliff character, he knows, again, there's a standard, right. And it's like, standard is being violated like in a way is this echoing you know uh you know the same question about mm-hmm. well is that really like according to who is that weird or is that wrong yeah so um clearly mm-hmm. yeah
0: and this is now the introduction to uh Joda's brother J- judah's been having an affair his his mistress wants him to leave his wife and is trying to contact his wife to tell her that we're in love and he wants to run away with me he's trying to stop her from doing this and so he invites his brother who's seems like he's in the mob and he's just talking to him about this and what i find interesting and this happens in a couple of the uh you know the, the more the movies or TV shows that we that have come out recently like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos, where mm-hmm. they talk to, you know, he says, "Well, look, this woman can't be reasoned with, so why don't? So we have to take the next step and have her taken care of." Mm-hmm. And Judah is shocked by this. He's like, H- "What? What are you even saying? Why? How could you even talk this up? How can you even say that?" And his brother says, "Why did you call me? You never talk to me. You only talk to me when you need something. Mm-hmm. And then I bring up what obviously you, you brought me here to do, and you're shocked. It's like almost like they still need that idea that, that like... How, how could I put this? Uh, that you know, he doesn't want to even admit to himself that he knows what he wants to do.
1: I mean, like, why would he have contacted his brother if he didn't really? He, yeah. Well, he. it's like, it's that. Sorry, I keep thinking of this philosophy stuff because of talking about this, but I'm just no, thinking of course. about it's fine. it's fine. I'm just thinking about, like, the way Nietzsche talks about how he usually says this about Christians that we blink within our souls. Like, we don't want to really see how we really are. And so we kind of close our eyes to Mm ourselves. And Judah, not a Christian, but Judah is someone who still wants to kind of hold on to that Judeo Christian idea of morality. And so he's kind of like, How could you suggest such a horrible thing when we know good and well that he contacted him in order to, you know, deal with this? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the other, that's something that. Uh, Sart says uh, he says that when you you know because he says that we have no guidance in this empty universe you know that there is no true guidance um, and we just need to make our own moral choices um, and define ourselves by those. But he says when we ask advice for another human being, we're still choosing and making our own choices because we know what advice they'll give us.
0: That's true. It, it, we go to the people who will tell yeah. us what we want to hear.
1: Exactly, like if he went to a priest, this would be very different than him going to someone who is basically a hitman, Exactly.
0: Right? I mean, that's, and that's what happens, right? He goes to his rabbi or to a rabbi and he hears an answer. He doesn't yeah. really like it, so he goes to the his mafia brother,
2: <laughs> Yeah.
0: you know, to get a little bit more of a, you know, a, a different a bit of advice. And so this is the debate, right? He, Judah isn't religious, but he is still emotionally uh, you know morally moved by his judeo-christian upbringing so it's almost like saying those that's that moral structure is still guiding us
1: yeah and it's yeah. that
0: debate are we being guided by a judeo-christian philosophy or are we being you know m- like influenced by our human uh you know you know our our human side yeah which is what paul says i my body does what my spirit does not want yeah and that's the debate is that that is that yeah. battle that structure it's almost like it's almost like paul bring, talks about sin like it's a re like it's a like it's a spirit inside of us that is fighting against yeah. our spiritual our christian you know
1: yeah it's The new self, the redeemed. Well, it's that I don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I hate. Right. You know, it's this ongoing struggle. But even the the structure, it reminds me. And this is a funny comparison because of um, this is not one bit southern, but it makes me think of you know Flannery O'Connor talking about the South. She says the South isn't Christ centered, but it's Christ haunted. You know, meaning that the South. It's great. Yeah, meaning that, you know, there's still a sense of a moral structure, and there is still kind of, even in the back of people's minds, an idea of good and bad, of heaven and hell. And I would say that's very pronounced in the South, but I would say that's not just the South. I'm just thinking about this, you know, yeah. someone coming up is, is that he is haunted. He is haunted by... Um, this idea that the eyes of God are watching him and that there is some standard that could be violated. Mm-hmm. Even if he isn't centered on it, he is haunted by it. So I think that's, that still relates.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. What's he doing? What's happening now? Oh, he's still, he's,
0: uh, yeah, he's being, uh, yeah, again, and this is upsteanti right? Because, it's one thing to be, to have your wife found out that you're having an affair, but Angelica Houston, his mistress knows something that might get him in legal trouble. He, oh, right. but, he like,
1: yeah. What was it?
0: It was like, um, uh, it was, he committed fraud, like financial fraud. He cooked the books of his business because it was, because he was struggling. And so, and, and, but when he got back on his feet, he paid it back with interest. But he still broke the law in order to survive. And she's not just wants to expose him, is threatening to expose him to his wife, but to the, you know, to, he's trying to legally expose him to kind of convince him to finally, you know, leave his wife for her. Yeah. And that, that, again, that's that's when it gets really difficult, right? When it becomes too much to bear this, but at the end of the day, he made his bed.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then there's this beautiful scene, this powerful scene where he's, he can't sleep. He's up late at night and his rabbi kind of, he's having this debate in his head when, and he visualizes his rabbi there uh, being the voice of reason. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And he says, yeah, you have to conce- confess what you've done wrong.
1: Hope for understanding. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, because that's the debate, right? You hope that.
1: There you... It is. Yeah. I couldn't go on if I didn't believe in a moral structure
0: mm-hmm.
1: with some forgiveness and a higher power. So it's like he's echoing the very clearly he wants us to know that is the core of this movie is that question. Mm
0: hmm. Without the law, it's all darkness.
1: Yes, that's a great line. <sighs> yeah.
0: And again, but this is, this is what it is to be human. It's we've done wrong and now we have to face the consequences. Yet, even though we know we've done wrong, we still don't want to do that. Yes. He's done wrong and now he's saying no, but this is too much of a price to pay for what I've done. I mean, he, he did this. Yeah, And now the, the house of cards is falling down and he doesn't want to face the consequences. And he's willing to go to extremes to fix the problem and do something really, truly terrible that he's not the kind of person who would normally do this.
1: But and he's making it even sound here like his decision is in some way like.
0: That's justifiable. <laughs> he-
1: yeah, well, it's like, maybe I had some questionable moves. But he's making it sound like, yes, but my wife, you know, it would crush her. Right. But I'm thinking, yeah, so he's willing to not, in order to not crush his wife, he's going to actually kill someone. Right. I mean, that's, so, uh, and then, yeah, Ben says, don't you think God sees? God is a luxury I can't afford. God.
0: <laughs> but that's what we all do. That's the, that's yeah. the thing, is that we as christians sort of bring that up as this is what the world is like but we're not that different
1: and that well that line he says you live in the i live in the real world our jack lives in the real world that's his brother the hitman mm-hmm. but but you live in the kingdom of heaven and that's what so that's i think though even some of that thinking comes from I think sometimes Christians are even responsible for that kind of wrong theological thinking right. that the real world and the kingdom of heaven are two separate split things. Whereas, you know, the kingdom of heaven is actually supposed to be brought here on earth. You mm-hmm. know, it's and it, this is actually about transforming. Um, but this is about like, Oh, it's bifurcated, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, I don't believe that he's doing this just to pers- to just to save his wife. I think it's like it's preserving it's like he doesn't want to give up his way of life. He's very wealthy, he's very respected. He has to everyone outside, he has the idea of, you know, quote the good life.
0: Right. Because again, at the at the celebration at the beginning, he's being honored for being such a good man. Yeah. And, the, but I mean, that's kind of the story of the Bible, right? Uh, the Israel continued to do terrible things, but they continued to sacrifice to God. They continued to do the things that, uh, you know, the physical things that they were told to do. But even though they were worshiping other gods, you know, c- doing injustices to the poor and hurting, you know, ignoring people who needed help, that's that's, that's what humans do. Even, even those who follow God, we still do that.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's like, you know, lying to ourselves, shutting off part of ourselves, trying to justify, you know, well, I'm doing this for this reason Mm -hmm. when, you know, if we're honest, we almost always have mixed motives, Yeah. you know, um, I mean, to me, I have started thinking more about the idea of being pure in heart and how is that possible for a human and what does that even mean when mm-hmm. we're asked to be pure in heart. But I've wondered if part what part of what that means is just actually being brutally honest yeah. about, you know, if it's because I don't feel like we, we can't make ourselves pure, you right. know, but but the acknowledgement of all those mixed motives, mm-hmm. of all those self-deceptions.
0: Um, but, but that's why we need a savior.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And here, oh, sorry.
0: No, no. Yeah. And that, that's kind of the, kind of the point is that we, the, the whole idea of doing bad things for good reasons is sort of a thing that we continue to try to do, but we, that's not something that Christ ever allows he says, you have to do good no matter what. And because, again, we're looking at things, at the consequences and the problems that we'll face here on Earth. But there's a much higher, you know, plane that we have to live up to. And that's what make that's the difficulty. It's. Yeah. And again, like I've said before, like, once you start doing bad for good reasons, then the devil has your phone number and he never stops calling.
1: Oh. Wow. Like
0: it, it doesn't just stop at the first thing. It just grows.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so, yeah, here we're back to uh, Woody Allen with uh, Mia Farrow, and again, he, he, she's kind of offering him a job. Like, yeah, once you're done with this, we can, because she'd love to make this documentary about this guy, and he's falling, awesome. yeah, and he's falling in love with her, even, and again. Woody Allen is falling in love with his Mia Farrow character, and he's married.
1: Yeah. This isn't... I feel like every single film that has Woody Allen in it, it feels like are most of them... He is always there's always affairs and they're quite normalized.
0: Yeah. What's yeah. interesting
1: is it's not even like the affair in this. I don't know if he's really and this is to me seems to be the only film, well, this and match point where he really looks at the moral consequences of an affair. Mm-hmm. Whereas in something like Hannah and Her Sisters, um, it's not Hannah and her sister's husbands and wives, or so many of his others, it just is kind of like it's it's kind of like You know, in Woody Allen's New York, the two things you do are go to a therapist and have an affair. Yeah. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) and it's like, it's just normal.
0: But of course, because he's in a loveless marriage and his wife is obviously portrayed as a terrible person. Yeah. And so, uh, of course, Mia Farrow is a wonderful person, a wonderful human being that, yeah, he's kind of almost justifying wanting to... they show this this situation more, right? His yeah. his his time with Mia Farrow they show more than his time with his wife.
1: Oh yeah, way more. So you, well, it's manipulating you into thinking, oh yes, you want this. I mean, on this as much as this is a wonderful film, but on 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 in this regard, he's doing the exact same thing that's you know five thousand crappy romantic comedies have done. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like oh, follow your heart. You know, you're married to someone that makes you unhappy, but follow your heart. It's okay to have this affair. And I feel like, yeah, he he tends to do this in his movies.
0: So it, uh, it, it, did he do this unknowingly? Do this uh, moral debate in the same movie where Alan uh, Ju- uh, Judas character, or uh, you know, Martin Landau's character is justifying something terrible. Because it would serve him, and yet Woody Allen' character, Woody Allen's character, is doing the same thing.
1: Yeah, although it, it, I think he would argue that it's different because clearly his wife can't stand him and she's wanting to get a divorce <laughs> and he feels like their marriage is over. Whereas uh, Judah's marriage is supposedly wonderful and his wife worships him. He says, "Yeah." So I think that he feels kind of justified. Because it's a, quote, loveless marriage. So um, (laughs) I think would justify it. And it
0: turns out it's the same question. Yeah. It's the same thing that they're doing. And, yeah. Again, showing his love of film, like he's taking his uh, his niece to those old, you know, revival theaters. And he's showing uh, Mia Farrow's character a, what is it, a 35 millimeter print of...
1: Is it singing in the rain? I yeah, think. Yeah, singing in the rain. Yeah, singing in the rain, which is yeah, an interesting. That's that's also interesting. Just the choice of film. It's like an escape. Yeah. And comedy. Um. But, yeah. Oh, here comes the. Uh... Yeah,
0: this is the act when. Uh... Martin Landau's character, Judah, he's decided, yes, he's going to take his brother up on his offer and have his mistress murdered. And we see the hitman arriving again. We never see this guy again. So that's the thing is that Judah, he's never connected to this. He is scot-free. You know, he hired somebody else through somebody else to go and have this taken care of for him we have Angelica Houston, you know, walking home and being followed by this hitman. And yeah, she's about to meet her fate. And again, because in he came to that conclusion late at night that this has to be done because there's no other way when well, he was offered another way by his rabbi. And and what do we what do we think about that his rabbi going blind? That's that's an yeah, interesting that's- choice, right?
1: That's an interesting, and the idea of the eyes of God are watching you. Um, I, I I feel like eyes are, and there's a part in here, I don't know if we've already seen it. Um, I, there's a part where she talks about the eyes being the windows of the soul.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Has that already happened or not? I can't remember.
0: Yeah, I, I think it may have already. It's
1: one of those flashbacks. Uh-huh. So there's, of this focus on eyes but I'm thinking about is is it it's what's interesting is Alan nothing is ever simple here it's always like he's giving you two choices so is the rabbi going blind because of like think of like ancient literature and the way the the prophets are blind Mm -hmm. they're they are the true seers they see what's true or is it he's going blind because he really it's symbolizing that he doesn't see anything. Yeah, you know, so it's like, which is it? <laughs> um, and again, I think, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, I I don't think I mentioned this before, but when when we were talking about how she believe she uh you know Angelica Houston's character, she believes that he promised her that he'd run away with her, and he says he never did. And then there was a fa- flashback when they were on the beach, and they were saying that like you know, she they were talking about classical music, and she says, "Oh, you know so much. I just." I don't know anything about this stuff. And he says, oh, I'll teach you. There's plenty of time for that. We have so much time for that. Mm. Of course, how could she not take that as a promise? Oh, absolutely. So in a way, without even knowing, because it feels good to him, because it makes him feel romantic. And in this moment with her, he feels the happiest that he's felt, I'm sure, in a long time, that he can say anything like this. And it doesn't mean anything to him but it means so much to her.
1: Absolutely. It's just a, it, it's, it's pleasure. It's a game, you know? Um, yeah. It's interesting now in this scene where Jack has called his brother, the hitman is has called Judah and said, um, you know, you, uh, it, they, it's done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, Judah's initial response is, Oh God. Yeah, Which I, know, I think that's interesting because I know that's what people, that's just a common saying when you're shocked, but I think it's kind of poignant we yeah. even said God have mercy on us, Jack. Yeah. From someone who's like, I don't believe in God, you know, but it's... <laughs> it's um...
0: I, I And honestly, that's happened where I've had people who don't believe in God, but they're having to deal with something. They're either dealing with something bad or they went to a job interview and they say listen i know i don't believe but uh do you mind praying for me yeah i'll I'll take any help i can get
1: absolutely yeah
0: yeah i mean we and that's kind of the interesting thing is that it's almost i i because i truly believe you know we all just inside of us every human being has a desire to connect with the cosmos has a desire for something beyond this People say that Christianity or religion, I think Nietzsche said that the reason he said that God is dead is because we don't need him anymore.
1: Yeah, Yet, it's an outdated I, concept, yeah. Right,
0: and I can't believe that because, not just because I'm a, I'm a believer, but because I think that human beings have an innate sense, have a desire to want something beyond this, even <laughs> if even if there is no God. There's a desire to want one.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. It's there's almost kind of a a lament often within um, within a sort of frustration or anger. To, there is no God, or God is awful, or whatever. There's a kind of a. a label of lament. I don't know. I was, I was, I know you're a big fan of punk rock as I am, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but I did a lecture once uh, at the festival of faith and music talking about even in the music of like the sex pistols and the velvet underground, which I guess is pre-punk, but in some of that music, there's such a level of lament, Mm -hmm. you know, um, even in, in, you know, kind of, kind of wanting kind of a yearning for a moral structure, yearning for justice, a, a real deep sense of frustration and anger. Um, but I don't know. You don't have frustration and anger against injustice if you don't believe that there's such a thing as justice. And so I would say there's kind of a deep, I don't know. Well, I mean, scripture does tell us that we all do know within our hearts that there is a God and we have a longing for um but I think even a longing for justice on some level is a kind of longing for God.
0: Yeah. And I'm not
1: saying God is only justice, but you know what I mean. Just yeah. Just being, um yeah.
0: And I, ha- yeah, even one of my favorite punk bands, Bad Religion, who are very outwardly atheists and I have, you know, but they've helped me grow in my faith. Yeah. But in one of the songs, uh, they say the process of belief is an elixir when you're weak I must admit at times I indulge it on the sneak. So even there, oh. Greg Graffin, oh, wow. who is a, a, a evolutionary biologist, still admits that, yeah, at times I still believe. And in a song like that was very popular on the radio, actually I don't recall uh, what it's called, but uh, yeah, I, I don't remember. But even in one of the more popular songs, he says that, there only God can make things right. And I think the problem with that is that he, he admits that it will never happen. That's kind of the point of the song. Yeah. But he still says that, yeah, it's only, you know, you know, only a God can, can fix this. Yeah. Can save us from ourselves. He says.
1: Yes. Oh, here is, that switch to Judah going into uh, his mistress's apartment
0: after she's been,
1: she's dead.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I
1: mean, it's yeah. The way her eyes are shown. I, I just feel like there's such a focus on eyes in this movie.
0: Yeah. It, it looks like she's still alive. In fact.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, it doesn't seem like a normal dead face. Like they show in movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like she seems disappointed in him
1: yes
0: and that but that's that's the interesting thing is that on one level they almost up the ante to make it incredibly difficult for him not to do this and so now it's and now he now he's there and sees her and now he's remembering back his, to his faith uh,
1: he's yeah he's remembering childhood the eyes of god sees all sees mm-hmm.
0: all there's nothing there's... that escapes his his sight
1: yeah he sees the righteous. He sees the wicked. This is what his father is telling him.
0: Mm-hmm. And huh. it, but again, this is kind of such an interesting way of portraying this because nothing connects this crime to him. Yeah, you know the the affair was a secret, even though there's some connection that they knew each other, which the police will show will bring that up. But it looks like a robbery. You know, there's nothing, it was done by a complete stranger without his connection, yet he still has to try to uh, avoid any and all detection. This is a essentially a perfect crime. The only issue is his own guilt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because if his biggest issue was fear of being caught, he wouldn't have gone to her apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, well, I guess if he was going in maybe to take away evidence of their...
0: Of their affair, right.
1: Yeah, uh, I guess there was that. But he also seemed like he just wanted to go and see her.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, now he's up late, like com- rattled with guilt. And that's the question. is the If there is no God, is there a need for guilt? Is there a... Is there any justice? Is there any good or wrong? I mean, is what he did terrible if there is no, I mean, it's self preservation. Yeah. And I think we, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, I can't argue that. We need God.
1: Yeah. Because if you just live, I mean, this could be justified according to like a Nietzschean standard of you know, just will to power or survival of the fittest. It right. could be justified in that sense. Well, you know, it was, it, it, you know, she was, uh, and clearly she was, she showed a great weakness. She was very vulnerable. She was very uh, needy, yeah. which she mentions, And he's like, well, I just, I just push her out of the way. I just get rid of her. Yeah. You know, um,
0: Because I and I think the question is, does God know what He's doing? And I think, and this might be a silly connection, but there used to be a show called Joan of Arcadia, which Uh I never, I didn't really watch. But it's basically uh, Joan, this woman, this character speaks to God, and He appears to her in different people. It's almost like He embodies different human beings and tells her what to do, and oftentimes. You know, he tells her to do something bad or something confusing that she doesn't understand, and then it all works out in the end. But there's this one episode where her her boyfriend's an artist, and he creates this piece of artwork, this sculpt this sculpture, and God tells her, "You have to destroy it." I don't know how. Or you just go, and you have to destroy it. And she's you know wrestles with it, and she questions him, and she says, "I'm sorry, you have to do this." and she goes and she does it and he's angry at her like the boyfriend's angry at her she's heartbroken and she's like why did you make me do this this is awful and god says i don't have to explain myself to you i've proven huh. myself to you time and time again you huh. know that i know what what i'm doing yeah and that's the question in our heads like you know and what i love about the bible is that it brings up times when when the people who love him doubt him and are angry with him. It doesn't hide that.
1: Absolutely, and well, I'm just thinking about the whole end of the Book of Job, where he wants a reason. Job wants a reason for his suffering, but yeah. God just asks him that list of questions. Yeah, which basically the the question, what they they the way they answer his question is to show him that kind of his place. Right. Or like, you know, that he couldn't possibly understand and that God doesn't have to explain that, that, you know, it's just the idea of trusting. Um, Yeah.
0: And yeah, but again, uh, David curses God several times in, in uh, the Psalms. And I, it just reminds, I I constantly go back to uh, the widow that Elijah stays with after her son dies he he she asks why did god bring you to me just to save my life long enough to watch my son die and mm-hmm. then we have uh jesus and lazarus's sister lazarus's sister's angry with him why didn't you come sooner why couldn't you have saved him it doesn't hide that We it, god understands our anger and Absolutely.
1: yeah yeah, yeah and asking these difficult questions. I mean, I always think it's interesting that Job wasn't considered sinful for asking the questions he did. Right. Um, Yeah. But because he still had faith, you know, I, I remember with, uh, I think it's in the great divorce by Lewis. I think it's in that where he talks about, there are different ways of asking questions of God, you know? Um, But if, if, if you ask questions like a child, you know, if you're childlike in your faith, children only ask questions of people that they think can provide an answer for them, you know, that they're trusting, you know, like children just don't uh, ask questions for the sake of showing someone that they're wrong or just because they're angry. So that's interesting about asking questions or even showing anger, um, how we're shown that, that range of human emotion. Um, and again, the complexity of human beings in, 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 the Bible, uh, that like nothing that we see here is really that foreign to even what examples we see in the Bible. I mean, I'm thinking of David having an affair and then having the husband of the woman he had an affair with killed. Right. I mean, you know,
0: and, but the interesting thing about that is he's such a good person. Yeah. He invites him over to, you know, to say, well, if I can get him to sleep with his wife, then, you know, maybe I can hide it. And he doesn't want to go home because my men, my fellow soldiers are alone out on the battlefield. I couldn't possibly, uh, you know, do this because he, he has such honor And then he, like, it's it's ridiculous how good this guy is. And David goes forward and, you know, does something terrible to to hide it out, to hide it. And
1: And he's the man after God's own heart, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like the the heroes in scripture are pretty complex. (laughs) Um, And even when, yeah, and even when he does, after he's done it. He seems so numb. He seems to have no conscience about it, which is even, to me, just even more disturbing. Yeah. Um, until the prophet comes in. So Nathan comes and in, interestingly, uses a story <laughs> in order to um, uh, show him where he is uh, has sinned. Oh, here is the part. It's a flashback about looking into her eyes to see her soul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a flashback here, when because Judah is now he is Ben the rabbi has come to his office again, and um, as he's looking at Ben's eyes, he's thinking of this flashback.
0: Right, and yeah, he's riddled with uh, with with guilt, and the rabbi asks him so that di- that personal difficulty what happened. And he said, "Oh, it's it, it resolved itself."
1: Yeah. Uh. The woman listened to reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I think it's interesting too. It's like when you commit one sin, it's like that idea of committing a sin and then heaping sin upon sin upon sin on top of it. Like to kind of because you've dug yourself in. Like he has the affair, and so then he kills her, and then he's lying. You know, so it's like yeah. all of the. It's not just like one isolated sin that only affects him. Yeah. Um, it's going on and on and on.
0: The, there's that a uh, great movie that uh who oh my God what was the guy the guy that uh, directed Evil Dead and the Spider-Man movies. Um, oh. But uh, anyway, it's uh it's called a perfect plan.
1: Oh, yes. I have seen that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's about these three brothers who go out hunting and they find a bag of money. And so they decide, well, we're going to keep it and, you know, keep it for ourselves. But they have to continue to do worse and worse things to keep it a secret. And it just shows that the more they try to fix a problem, the more the worse it gets and the the worse they have to resort to. You have to resort to doing terrible, worse and worse things to fix, to, to keep it, to keep this blood money, it seems.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's such a, I'm just, that's such a common theme. Oh, well, here's a, another flashback. Yeah. He's having, uh, um, I was just thinking about how much that sounds like the partner's tale in Chaucer. Um. Yeah, because they've taken that from Chaucer, I think, because in The Partner's Tale, he tells a story of three young men who find a bag of a treasure under a tree,
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: how they have to basically kill one another to try to keep the treasure. Oh, So, So it's that, but it's that idea that, you know, people think that they're basically good, or that they, you know, even with their friends, that they're loving, until, you know, something comes in between them, like a treasure or, I don't know, an affair or, you know, something like this, that humans, we have that choice of, I don't know, just that idea that every human being is capable of really horrific evil.
0: Right. And it's
1: just bad people, good people. I don't think.
0: Uh, Right. Like, like those, those times when like uh, a a parent of a family dies and it leaves of the children, the inheritance, and they fu- they all of a sudden this loving yeah. group of siblings end up hating yeah. each other.
1: Yeah.
0: It's, I love this scene. He, this he is one of
1: the best scenes, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: He 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 in his guilt, he goes back to his childhood home because he has these memories of his growing up. And he goes to his childhood home. He goes to the new owners and says, Do you mind if I look around? And she says, Yeah, go ahead. And he has a flashback of Seder dinner. Mm-hmm. and his uh, who is this is it his father his uncle
1: i think it's his father at the head and then there's that aunt yeah that is like she's a real kind of atheist like how did how could there be a god if all these jews were killed and they did and they didn't get punished you know right. and then she says, because might makes right which is a quote of Nietzsche's. Mm. <laughs> yeah so saying is is that true you know um so it's this antagonism between the aunt and his father.
0: Right. Who, yeah, they're they're at Seder dinner and he's essentially saying that no matter what, justice will prevail. And she says, Hitler killed six million people and he died by his own hand. Where's the justice there? Where's the yeah. justice for all those people? And yeah, and she says, well, he says on, on one level he will have to pay for that. And everyone else, it, it seems that everyone else at dinner is like, yeah, I guess I don't believe in a God. I just do this out of tradition, out of habit.
1: Yeah. Well, one 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 of them says, isn't there a moral structure? And she's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. And then the other one says, I come, there's all this, to, to, I don't believe in all this mumbo jumbo. I just come. It's tradition. Right. Uh, yes. And, Yeah.
0: Which in in the Bible, it's what I brought up before, the, you know, the Israel were still, they were committing all these sins, yet they still sacrificed. They still went through the traditions.
1: Going through the motions Mm -hmm. of, um, it's like a split self. Yeah. You know, it really is. I, um, yeah, and the one is telling his father, you're relying too much on the Bible. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah,
0: this is great because he's, you know, he he's having this memory of this dinner and he breaks the fourth wall of his memory. Yeah. And he asks, well, what about murder? And he says, well, on one way or another, it will, you know, it he will be outed. And his uh, another uncle, an uncle of his says, if he's caught and he says, mm-hmm. no, whether he's caught or not, murder will come out. And yeah, he, and he asks like, what murder, who said anything about murder? And he says, well, you did, you just asked us. (laughs) It it, yeah. This is such a brilliant scene.
1: Yeah. This part really bothers me. And I think this is the core is when the father says, so are you saying you prefer you, you don't, it asks about God and truth. And he said, the father says, if I will always choose God over truth, you know, and yeah. it's kind of like, even if it's not true, which I don't, I don't, I don't think that's real faith. <laughs> I feel like there's the split there. That's that idea that, cause I'm thinking a there's a letter, uh, what Simone Vey wrote in her conversion about, uh, she says, I'm always going to seek truth you know, rather than, well, she kind of says it opposite rather than God, but Mm -hmm. she says, I think Jesus is truth. And so it is seeking him, but this, I don't know that his father seems to be saying, you know, even if it's all not true, I'm still going to believe it just for the believing it, which, which to me, I don't know if I'd call that faith. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: and my other podcast uh, I you know I, I my co-host is a progressive christian and I, I don't even she believes that there's a god but she doesn't believe in you know in the evangelical perspective of it and so we have these discussions and the thing that I keep coming back to is I'm constantly learning I'm willing to believe everything I'm I'm willing to be a universalist I'm willing to be gay affirming. I'm willing to change my mind on anything. I just have to it just has to be proven.
1: Yeah. I have to see,
0: it has to make sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah. And because those are very difficult questions, especially right now when it comes to, when it comes to like, for example, something like being gay affirming or not the gay issue. It's so difficult in the face of how society is turning, but I have to have it shown that gay affirming is the right way to be.
1: yeah, then it's not just based on a cultural construct or uh, it, it's not just based on that. it's actually scriptural or biblical, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, back to Lewis levy. yeah uh, uh,
0: the the, uh, the the professor that Woody Allen's character is doing a documentary on.
1: the universe is a cold face. Place it's we who invest it with our feelings, so there he's stating a very classic atheistic existentialist idea. Right. Um, that. You know. And this is the part, yeah, that he that this philosopher has committed suicide.
0: Yeah, like uh, Woody Allen. And 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 they almost played for comedy because he he's making he admires this philosoph- this philosopher so much, and then it turns out he killed himself. And the yeah. note the note he left is, "I've gone out the window." Yeah. And yeah, but yeah, but again, I I find that really interesting, and why I kind of love this debate so much that that's had in this movie, because most atheists would say. That religion is what causes so much harm in the world. It's religion that causes so much. The most immoral people are the religious ones because they justify everything they do with this invisible best friend that they have. Yeah. But Woody Allen is making the argument that no, without a God, there is no moral. There is no right and wrong. The only right and wrong is what we decide is right and wrong.
1: Absolutely. And he says at one point, I don't understand it, because Louis Louis Levy, who is the philosopher that he's wanting to do the documentary on, always said yes to life. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, always said yes to life and said all these fascinating things. But the clip that he just showed us as Dr. Levy saying the universe is an empty place and we're the ones who invest it with meaning. But that basically is like saying that there is no objective meaning. Right. We just choose our own meaning. That's classical existentialism. And it's, it's like, in the end, that wasn't enough. Yeah, It's not enough to think that I create my own reality. There, there's nothing more to that. I mean, it's... And he couldn't he take it anymore.
2: Right. And
1: so, so that's... If you put that next to the question of, is there a moral structure in the universe that judges um, Judas' crime you know, yeah, right. Uh, a super complex film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because I, and, and I, I've gone in that direction is that I kind of believe that there, that there is no meaning to life because the only meaning we have is God and love. And, mm. but people try to find like a meaning in that they try to accomplish goals and feel that once they accomplish it, you know, once they reach some a level, they're going to feel like, oh, this all makes sense now. And that's why I love the book of Ecclesiastes most. Yeah, I was
1: you sound like Ecclesiastes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Where essentially he's saying nothing we do is gonna last. We are going to be forgotten. Given enough time, no one's gonna even remember we exist. So and the conclusion that Solomon or the teacher comes to is if there's no meaning, then there's meaning in everything. Everything we do has meaning. Every person we're with is the the most important person. Wherever we are is the center of the universe and everything is the meaning of life, which to me is much more beautiful.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Everything. There is a season. um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, there's such a, you know, the key word meaninglessness throughout that, um, that these pursuits for, you know, success via relationships or money or fame or or,
0: intelligence or pleasure
1: that ultimately those will with, without a larger context, um, they're, they're going to be meaningless. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So it sounds like Dr. Levy just, you know, collapsed under that meaning that sense of meaninglessness
0: because yeah, because there isn't without a God. There is not even that. Yeah. And yeah, again, uh, and this is what's so fascinating about this is that Martin Landau continues to feel guilt, even though he does not believe in God, he still believes that that there has to be a right and a wrong is can't there doesn't there, there has to, there can't not be anything. Right. Mm. And because he can't bring himself like, like Woody Allen, can't bring himself to believe that there is a God, yet still it breaks his heart or it fills him with fear that there, there has to be a moral structure. I've done something wrong and there has to be justice for that. Mm. And yeah, and it's almost like his brother almost, almost threatens him because he wants to come forward. Almost, you know, he, and he says, yep. "Listen, these people that we that you dealt with, they're they're not going to go down for this. You know, if somebody's going to go down, it's going to have to be you." And yeah, I, I, again, it's it's his guilt is eating him alive.
1: And it's interesting that Judah just said to his brother, "One sin leads to another sin." Mm-hmm. And his brother said, oh, now you're sounding like Papa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, you know, but it's what I said earlier. It's like, it's not just one sin. He's having to cover it up. He's having to, you know, all these things. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it, which is so fascinating that it, it starts off with his, his mistress is going to expose him to his wife. Then she ups the ante and says, "I'm going to expose you to the law, and you'll get. Not, if you don't run away with me, I'll tell everybody about your your financial, uh, you know, misdoings. If that's a word, did I? Is that a word? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and then he commits this crime, and it and essentially there's no consequences for it. So it's he, yeah. the own. He can get away with it if he wants, but he feels so guilty that he can't l- let himself forgive himself.
1: Well, but then it's also like it's—it's it's like there's a no-win in this situation because you know, if if he gets away with it in his mind, that probably means there isn't a god and there are no no are no absolute moral standards, and that's perhaps. A, a even more horrible thing than him being caught. Yeah. See what I mean? But he just told his wife, "I believe in God. If without God, the world is a cesspool." Um. And like that's why he's holding on to this guilt. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is this is a, another comic scene of Cliff is showing the documentary that he made of Lester. So yeah. He's,
0: yeah. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's comparing him to Mussolini.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> because again, even the Woody Allen character, uh he can't he can't swallow his own pride enough to make this comedian or this comedic producer or this writer look good.
2: Yeah. He's
0: given a chance to make money to finish his documentary and he can't do it. He has to treat this person terribly. And admittedly, he's a terrible person, but I don't I don't know. It's <laughs> I and again, as a as a teenager, I hated the guys who d- were successful or who got the girl and I didn't. And so I always saw everyone else as the bad guy. I'm the nice guy and everyone else is terrible. And I I don't know. This is the this is kind of a reflection of that, right? <laughs> it's that And so, of of course, when Alan Alda sees what he's concluded, he says, okay, fine, you're fired, and I'm going to finish this on my own. All he had to do was just swallow his pride for a bit.
1: Yeah. But on the other hand, you could say, well, he has integrity as far as, I don't know. (laughs) I I kind of sympathize with him, you know? I mean, we're all... You know, we watch it and we're laughing because you're like, this guy is so shallow. And it's like Cliff has higher standards and he can't stand just being one of the sycophants around this guy who has money and power, you know.
0: Um, And then we like in the in our world, it's uh, David Letterman versus Jay Leno. Jay Leno was a comedian for the masses and he like comedians hated him. Because when they, when people asked him for advice, he said, uh, you don't want, don't, don't bring up your opinion because you don't want to alienate half your audience. And that's not the right way to do things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, but he always got the higher ratings. He always, like everybody saw uh, David Letterman as having the, the more integrity, being funnier being the better person. But at the end of the day, Jay Leno got more rate. He, he, he was more successful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, the way it tends to be. Right. Um, Well, at least in American culture, I don't know (laughs) about, I mean, yeah, in American culture, it's definitely that way. The mainstream culture. Sure.
0: Sure. When it comes to movies, all the shoot 'em ups and make 'em ups, yeah. the Transformers yeah. movies tend to make more money than the art house films.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it's like they've got to follow a particular formula in order. The formula is actually going to uh, kind of appease, kind of, it's going to make the viewer feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to tell the truth, but it's going to give a version of the story that. Uh, makes them feel
0: good
1: so oh this is final scene huh
0: and so then we come to the end of the film where it's four months later uh alan alda is i think i forget he he went to europe to for a project yeah and he wanted to bring uh mia farrow uh, to help produce it And so Woody Allen kind of tried to talk her out of it. But she's like, no, I have to go. It's a great opportunity. And honestly, you and I, we can't make it work. You know, I don't like him either, she says. (laughs) But, you know, I'm working. I'd rather work with him. And, yeah. And then we have Martin Landau with his, you know, the rabbi. And the rabbi has now lost sight completely. Mm. Which is heartbreaking. And I guess... Which again, I, I kind of love that about this movie that it, Woody Allen isn't saying that there is no God, so we're better off. It's a tragic realization, in fact. Yeah,
1: yeah. But again, it's that thing at the end when Judah hasn't been caught is that a comic or tragic ending? Mm-hmm. You know, one, if you read it as a comedy, well, he's not been caught and everything's been resolved but we know that it hasn't been resolved if we're thinking about ideas of justice and meaning, then it's a tragedy, you know? So, uh, yeah.
0: And so they're at another party and, uh, Woody Allen's wife can, uh, you know, admits that, uh, she's leaving him and we, yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. It's just that, but, yeah, I don't think anything works out for anybody in this movie.
1: Well, for it does for the Alan Alda character, for Lester. That's true. <laughs> for the one guy that is like just the you know, well, it also works out for the Martin Landau character because he doesn't get caught. I yeah, mean, that's true. It feels like Cliff, who's the one who seems to have some sort of integrity. Um, yeah, yeah, here he is looking really heartbroken because he right. sees the woman he's in love with Mia Farrow, together with Lester
0: yeah the so I really stand because she understands how vapid and terrible he was but she went anyway because it was a good opportunity to Europe to work on this project and she came home and now they're romantically together and it breaks Woody Allen's heart not only did he not get the girl but she ended up with the worst human being imaginable which yeah. for me as a, you know, the, the, that's why I brought up, it reminded me of a teenager. Yeah. I, I was always the guy who wanted the girl, but she always went out with the jerk. And
2: oh. when I, yeah.
0: when I grew up, I realized, was he the jerk or did I just see him that way? Mm. When my friends, when the girl I liked came to me crying she, I only heard her side of the story for all I know it was more complicated than that he wasn't as terrible as I thought and I'm just projecting what I wanted on it and yes. and so is yeah of course well they, they did they they portrayed Lester the Alan Aldis character as a real terrible comedian and a terrible human being yeah. but Mia Farrow's character still ended up with him she fell in love with him, so there's something good there. But Woody Allen doesn't want to see it.
1: Poor Cliff, just
0: looks I know he just looks so forlorn. <laughs> it's
1: There was a line that they just had a little about a few minutes ago, where um, it sounds like uh, it sounds like um, Judah has stopped believing in God now, um, mm-hmm. because it said his daughter was said he takes after his aunt. Whatever her name was, the one who was the atheist at the Seder table says mm-hmm. she would love him because she she said she didn't believe in God because the Bible had a it's unreli- the central character was an unreliable character. You know? <laughs> so she says, you know, she would love Lester. I mean, not Lester, she would love uh Judah right. because of his, you know, rejection. But which is interesting here at the end, it's four months later. And when we see Judah in this scene, every time we see him, he looks happy. Yeah. It's like guilt ridden sense is gone. And it, it, this, yeah.
0: It's the first time he's happy throughout the whole movie.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: I, I actually love this line uh, because she, uh, Woody Allen wrote her, Mia Farrow, a, a letter, for, you know, trying to convince her to come back and to be with him. And he says, oh, you know, I I lifted most of that from James Joyce novels. You must have wondered about all the references to Dublin. <laughs> Which, I love that line. I've actually used that before. <laughs> because...
1: So funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like... I feel like he, yeah, he often puts himself in these comic roles, you know, whereas he, we laugh at him, you know, we, we, uh, he's kind of the born loser, you know, and they're they're, the neurotic guy. Um, (laughs) he's like the George of of Seinfeld, you know, although he's not as, I don't know. It's, which is also Seinfeld is also following kind of a new york jewish comedy model kind of thing and uh yeah i think that's really interesting that he's the the what do they call it like the schmuck or the uh
0: yeah the yeah i i don't remember but yeah there's a specific word for that kind of character for that neurotic nervous character
1: yeah who's just always losing you know always losing um nothing ever goes his way at the same time, I don't really feel like he's blameless because, at this, you know, he's also trying to have an affair. Yeah. You know, and we mentioned, I mean, I, I find it really disturbing. I, I like there's a sweet relationship with his niece who's like looks like she's about 12. or, mm-hmm. and, But I don't like it that he's like talking to his niece about yeah, his affair. He's asking her
0: advice and <laughs> telling him about how he's in love with this other woman. And again, uh, there was a line in that uh, a while ago when she says like, come on, she'd be crazy not to go out with you. And he says, oh, well, uh, you have to learn this in life is that uh, intelligence and smoldering sensuality don't always work in this world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's only funny because of you know the way he is so this is interesting this final scene mm-hmm. because these two characters who we followed both their plot lines they've never met in right. this movie we've never seen them together but here they both are talking
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and yeah and uh judah says i have a perfect mor- uh, murder story i have a plot for you since you know
0: so he's a filmmaker.
1: Cliff uh, is a filmmaker. Um...
0: And yeah, so then essentially, now they're alone. They're on a side room because uh, Woody Allen's depressed, and he comes over and he says, "Okay, let me tell you a story. Tell me what you think." And he essentially, and it's off off camera, but he tells him the story of what happened with him, without telling him that it's about him. But yeah. he says there's a guy who was having an affair and tells him the story. And then and then we cut to uh, Woody Allen's wife, who not only did he not get uh, Mia Farrow, but now his wife is telling the Alan Alda's character that she met someone else and that she's leaving him. And they're both very happy, like Alan Alda's happy for her. So and... in the end, Cliff
1: really has nothing.
0: Yeah, he kind of lost everything. and Yeah. But then we cut to yeah, here in a second we're gonna cut back to uh, Judah and uh, Woody Allen's character.
1: It's interesting that Alan this says about Cliff he's gotta he's gotta grow up. This is the real world. It's interesting that's the second time or maybe more that it's mentioned the idea that there's a difference between the real world and some other idea of the world. That's right. Oh, so, uh, like yeah.
0: Woody Allen wanted the romantic ending. And Judah believed that there's justice in the world. Yeah. And then uh, we cut back to Judah talking to Woody Allen and saying that, finishing his story, this hypothetical story, that after the murder, time passes and he stops feeling guilty. He He forgot about what he did. He doesn't feel anything. He never gets caught and he just moves on with his life.
1: Well, before he says that, though, he says... Right after he thought that it was, he started to believe in God again and see this is a just moral universe, and he's violated it, and he was an inch away from confessing it to the police, but then one morning he awakens, and he forgets it, or he stops feeling that guilt. Mm -hmm. The crisis is lifted.
0: Yeah, and nobody finds out. He doesn't get caught and there's no punishment. Which again, uh, goes back to the uh the Seder the scene at the Seder where he's she says, you know, he says, at the in the end there will be justice. And his uncle says, Only if he's caught. Mm. And he says, No, even if he's not caught, you know, there God will mete out justice. But if there is no God then there that that's the problem that's the issue that's the question.
1: Yeah. what's interesting he says now his life is normal he can go back to his protected world of wealth and privilege mm-hmm. Like I feel like that's what he didn't want to give up. Yeah. you know I'm not so sure it was really caring about his wife, but it all fades. but Cliff's Woody Allen's character says the most interesting thing his worst beliefs have been realized. Right. You no, know, it's like, isn't this worse?
0: It's worse if he like doesn't that. get caught.
1: Yeah, because. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, because that's the comparison, right? Before his worst realization, uh, his worst, I, the, wor- the worst that could happen is him getting caught, uh, yeah. having an affair and being exposed. But now the worst thing that could happen is him not getting caught. Yeah. And everything working out for him after he did this terrible thing. And since it's just a story, uh, Woody Allen is saying, well, yeah, but that story doesn't work. Because that's the that's a terrible ending to the story.
1: When he and... says it's a tragedy, he uses that word, which we talked about earlier. Yeah. He said it's a tragedy because there's an absence of a god that punishes him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so he has to take the punishment on himself, and he's going to carry these these things around. But I think Judah's kind of saying, but if there is no God, then why should I feel bad?
0: Yeah, that's reality, he says. It's not, yeah. it's not a movie.
1: Again, that thing of, like, it's the real world. It's reality. But, I mean, it's basically saying if there is no God, then what I did isn't even a crime. Mm-hmm. You know who cares?
0: And so, yeah. So that's the tragic thing is that Judah stands up, goes to his wife, and she, you know, he's very happy that he's, you know, he's moved on and he never got caught. Uh, we cut to his uh, his rabbi who's dancing with his daughter at her wedding, and he's blind. Again, another tragedy.
2: Yeah.
0: And yeah, and Woody Allen's character is left all alone. And I wanted to read that, the, uh, the quote that they go back to Professor Levy, Levy, who uh, Woody Allen was making the documentary of. And the, the ending is a voiceover by him. And he says, we're all faced throughout our lives with agonizing decisions, moral choices. Some are on a grand scale. Most of these choices are on lesser, lesser points. But we define ourselves by the choices we have made. We are, in fact, a sum total of our choices. Events unfold so unpredictably, so unfairly, human happiness does not seem to be included in the design of a creation. It is only we, with our capacity to love, that give, that give meaning to the indifferent universe. And yet most human beings seem to have the ability to keep trying and even find joy from simple things like their families, their work, and from the hope that future generations might understand more. Hmm. So, again, said, he's saying that the only thing that gives life meaning is the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. Yet, this is the same person who took his own life. Exactly. Who couldn't find meaning enough enough to live. And that that ends the movie, yeah.
1: And he's saying, it again, classic kind of – it's weird that he says in the design of creation, which sounds like he believes in a creator, but then a lot of what he says sounds like just classic atheist, exist, atheistic existentialism. Mm-hmm. We define ourselves by the choices we make, and the universe is indifferent. But if you define yourself by choices you make, yet there's no standard of right and wrong, how can that ever lead to any sort of sense of fulfillment or happiness? Right and what does love mean in that system, you know, because he says we have the capacity. You know, he's talking about love, but how does love even? What is love in that system? Unless it's just, um, unless, unless love is just again another survival of the fittest philosophy. It's just a sense of pleasure and belonging.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. If that's true, then we could call uh, the affair that Judah had love, which we know it's not love. Right. <laughs> so, you know, then Judah didn't do anything. You know, I, I think this is such a clever movie because at the end, none of us are left feeling good with the idea that Judah didn't do anything wrong. Right. And that he's not caught.
0: Yeah, it's so, tragic. And, yeah, yeah a- again, because, again, that that's kind of my... My idea, what I've, the conclusion that I've come to that I'm still working on is, yeah, there is no meaning in this world. The only meaning is love in God. But mm-hmm. for a lot of people, that's not good enough. It's almost like an internal thing. We need to be remembered. We need to think that these small things that we do are worth living for and that we're going to be remembered. And God reminds us or the teacher in ecclesiastes is that no none of this matters nothing we do matters so the only thing is to live for happiness and for god and for those around us
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and that's what gives life meaning
1: Mm -hmm. and i mean i think the the one one thing in kind of a judeo-christian philosophy that really goes up against the kind of um Kind of Nietzschean ex- nihilism or existentialism that we see here i mean basically at the end of this film his uh judah has embraced that view that his aunt said which is nietzsche's view might makes right mm-hmm. you know and he did what he needed to do in order to survive and preserve his version of the good life but but, you know, love in a biblical sense is about sacrifice. Right. Um, and we don't have any of that here. This is just self-preservation and, and not even self-preservation in the sense of you need to be fed. Exactly. This is self-preservation of a certain very privileged way of life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, so he's an incredibly selfish human. And is that heroic? You
0: know, that he was able to do it and get away with it. I mean, I don't think so. Yeah. and So so do we think that that's Woody Allen's point? Is it a tragic ending or is it a happy ending? Because it seems that his struggle, like, you know, I think in Shadow and Fog, uh, he's asked, do you believe in God? And he says, I, I don't, but I want to. I have mm-hmm. to, because then what else is there to live for? And even though he does not believe in God. So is this a tragic ending? Uh, For me, it is. But I believe in God.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but I would think even I would hope even someone who doesn't believe in God would watch this and not feel right about the ending.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: unless they are truly have. That's why I just don't know if human beings can fully live you know, the way Nietzsche lays it out, um, and feel fulfilled. I mean, yeah, they can, there are people that have lived that way. Yes. But are they really happy people, you Mm -hmm. know, um, in, in, in that understanding of happiness? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like the ending is intentionally unresolved. I don't feel like he gives us the direct, but the fact that, that the, You know, the fact that we feel uncomfortable with the ending and the fact that the philosopher who is basically stating some of the same sort of philosophy as what Judah believes Mm -hmm. um, commits suicide. You know, I think that's also very significant. I don't feel like this is meant to be a happy ending. Right. But... I don't know. But and that but, point certainly wasn't either.
0: Right. But again, that, and that's the conclusion that Judah and Woody Allen's character come to, come to is that that's a movie. This is reality.
1: Yeah. And
0: yeah. So it is. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's not a happy ending because it's real
1: in, yeah.
0: in, in the reality that God does not exist, which is tragic. And again, I, I, I believe in God. I believe that there is a justice and that there is happiness. And that doing what's right is always best, even though what the conclusion might not be the one we want.
1: Yes. Yes. So So.
0: anything else you wanted to add?
1: Well, no, I'm just thinking about, again, the Ben character and that idea of his blindness mm-hmm. i just think it's again it's very clever because i feel like the ending we keep saying is it this or is it that and the same. the last i noticed this time that the last shot is of ben dancing with his daughter yeah and and it's like of course he couldn't lead in dancing because he can't see you know and but i'm just thinking is that blindness is that someone because oh. he's bl- he's blind to the world sure. you know it's Is he blind to reality or is Alan going back to the, if he's, if he's relying on the real classic version of tragedy, then if he's referencing that, then no, the rabbi is the one who can actually see, you know, because he sees spiritually, you know, it's like, who is it, Tiresias that went blind or... Um, you know, just, just multiple characters in ancient literature mm-hmm. go blind, and, and but the blindness is an indicator that they have a greater vision. So I don't know which it is.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, I, I just think it's both he's saying, which is it? You know, <laughs> because to believe that the blindness is a kind of... Uh, seeing a larger, greater reality, you have to believe in some sort of supernatural reality. But if it's just this material world, Mm -hmm. then the, the, um, the rabbi has really lost everything. You know, uh, he can't see the real world. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, I don't know. I think it's just, (laughs) he's raising the right questions and he's, he's exposing the right kinds of tensions Mm-hmm. This is not and this is not a question that people should take easily or flippantly.
0: Right. Again. And I
1: don't think he is.
0: Yeah, again, the atheists who say that no religion has caused more tragedy in the world. Well, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. Yeah. That if you believe in God then it's worse. Well, that's very convenient for a person who doesn't believe in God who wants there to be joy in the world. Yeah. It, you know, and again, I, I appreciate Woody Allen not taking it so simple for being more asking really difficult questions of those who don't believe.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So can we agree that we think this is a tragedy?
0: Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> which again.
1: I do. I do too. Yeah,
0: which again is why I love this movie because it it helps us question those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. No.
1: It's a great one now I feel like I've had my mental exercise for the afternoon
0: <laughs> right <laughs> now that I mean I I, I I feel almost like I want to apologize because you just finished the school year and I made you <laughs> I made you work out again
1: that's okay it's good to do that every day yes watch like this movie every day so all right anyway, thank you so much for having me as part of this conversation that's, I really enjoyed it yeah it was so. great
0: thank you for joining us and I hope we can have you back again.
1: I would love to. Yeah.
0: So, uh, any uh, where where can we find you online?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I write for different outlets. Um, right now, most recently, I've been writing on. I'm doing an eight part series in Relevant Magazine that's on dystopian uh, movies and TV shows. I've written so far on The Matrix and um, Children of Men, and I'm kind of so, and I'm about to. Put out something out on *The Handmaid's Tale*, but I'm kind of kind of looking at these, kind of trying to revisit these and relating them to some uh, critical theory and philosophy. So kind of trying to pull out some things that maybe haven't been said before, hopefully.
0: Yeah, the, the, <laughs> um, the
1: revisiting them. So yeah, so that would be the easiest thing. But I've, you know, I've written for multiple. You can just kind of Google me yeah. and see. But yeah.
0: I'm going to put a link to those up. Uh, let me just say, though, that the, uh, the one on Children of Men was great.
1: Oh, thank I you. I really,
0: really loved that one. So,
1: thank you. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining us and all, everyone else. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, we hope you love this episode and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.
1: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. You've been listening to the Commentarians Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to support our show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thecommentarians. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives, and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.